Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Hello, hello. Welcome to Free Coaching Thursday. I am your host, your coach, Sarah M. Chapel. Today we have a lot of fantastic questions. We're going to be talking about firing contractors who are blowing your boundaries. I love this. We're going to talk about tough mentorship relationships and how to deal with mentors who are no longer really supporting you. Uh, we're going to talk about my favorite growth strategies. We're going to talk about uh, some self-sabotage stuff, all sorts of juicy things. So before we dive in, a few things. First of all, we have a ton of questions today. I'm going to get through as many as possible. If we do not get to your question today, not personal, feel free to resubmit it for our next um, Free Coaching Thursday, which will be the week of the 7th. We're not, we're going to be off next week. And we have a couple questions that I've answered recently. So if you submitted one of those, I will be referring you to a previous episode of this as well, just because we have a lot today. And you can check those out and then come back with more questions if you want. If you want to ask a more in-depth question, the best way to do that is to join us inside the Holistic Business Academy. That is a place where you have 24-7 community in our Facebook group. You have access to coaching calls with me. You have access to coaching from our coaching team. So if you have bigger questions and you need more support, that's the place to go. You can get on the waitlist at holisticbusinessacademy.com forward slash waitlist. Okay, let's dive in to your questions. So our first question is a quickie. Um, any advice on taking deposits to hold spots for a high-end program that won't start for a few months? Yeah, I think this is a fantastic idea. I think that the most important thing, anytime you're taking people's money, doesn't matter what the purpose is, is to make sure that your communication is extremely clear and that expectations are set. So in this case, if you're gonna be taking a deposit for a high-end program, there's a few things that I would consider having, having set up. Um, the first is letting them know uh, that it's a deposit, letting them know what the boundaries are around that. Is it non-refundable, for example? Um, is it non-transferable? Anything like that. Um, you should probably have a contract that they need to sign. That's a legal thing, so I can't advise you on that. Um, we like Coaches & Co. for contracts, or if you need uh, custom contracts, uh, my lawyer, Catherine uh, DeVos-Divine, is fucking rad. So I recommend having a contract that really states what that deposit is for and, you know, are, again, are there refunds, etc. And then what the timeline is and how they're going to be updated on the timeline. So if you know when the program is going to go start, that's really easy. If you haven't set a start date yet, that's a little bit more complicated. But essentially, I'd want to say that all in writing and I'd want it to be really explicit and clear. I think the thing that kind of like pops up in my head the most is a deposit are you going to let people change their mind, right? Uh, what does what does a deposit mean for you in the context of, of this offer and in the context of your business? That's kind of what, what I think about. So I'd want to make sure your contract kind of covers any of that, right? Are they, can they cancel their enrollment after they've made the deposit? Are there no backsies? That kind of thing. So, but I think with anything, anything sales related, the primary thing that we're asking is, is that we have clear communication with people so they know exactly what to expect. So I hope that's helpful. All right, let's get into something a little bit. We got some really juicy stuff here today. All right. Uh, navigating firing contractors who continue to disrespect boundaries with empathy. Yeah, so this is just one of those bad news bear situations. The good news when it comes to letting people go, especially in contractor relationships, I would say that probably like 80% of the time, the person is not surprised and might be having their own issues with the relationship, right? Oftentimes, especially if you are kind of a sensitive person, if you are uh, a caring person, it can feel like you're carrying a lot of weight with you when it comes to letting somebody go. But often the friction is obvious to them as well. So 
I think that's one thing just to keep in mind that if you're having trouble, chances are they are too. And again, I'd say maybe like 80% of the time in my experience, people are not really surprised. Um, they might even be relieved. Um, and usually when you end a working relationship with somebody, it is best for everyone. So I like to just go in with that mindset. That doesn't mean that we don't want to be really kind and compassionate, but just remember that in general, if it's not working for you, it's probably not working for them either. I think what's important here is to decide what they need to know. Um, you say that they're kind of disrespecting your boundaries or if you can just let them go. And that's going to have to do with how you're working with them, most likely. Um, I guess if it's a contractor, my first question is, do you have a contract with them, like an actual written contract? If so, you probably should review that. Um, I've definitely run into an issue earlier this year where I hired a contractor for a, for a set period of time on the contract. They did not complete the work and they would not give me any of my money back. So I ended up paying for a full contract that I, I refused to use because that was not a good fit for my business. So I would just take a look at what the contract is that you have with them. If it's more of a traditional contractor relationship where you're just kind of doing, they're doing like ongoing freelance work for you, then you probably don't really need to even give them notice, quote unquote, though you can. Um, but those rela relationships are entirely at will if you don't have another contract. And I don't mean that from a legal sense, talk to an HR professional or a legal person, right? <laughs> Please. So I think that, so kind of like taking all those pieces into account is essentially you are working with a contractor, you can end that contract at any time. So it can feel stressful and I, I hear that. Like I've literally, I've been there and I have learned a lot and had a lot of uh, hiring and firing in the past year, um, past two years really. And I think the most important thing is just to keep it to the best of your ability, non-emotional. And I don't mean that like you have to be like a cold HR person, but um, you know, like it doesn't need to be corporate, but just be like, this isn't working or we no longer need your services. Thank you so much. Um, and then if you're going to have a period of time, like this is 30 days notice on this, this is two weeks notice, you can let them know and uh, keep it simple, keep it clean. It, you know, and if there is, and sometimes like for something like boundaries, it might sound like maybe you're having a communication issue. You can just say like, you know, we're not really communicating effectively at this point and I've decided to go in a different direction. That's okay. I think that, you know, the, the kind of the bigger question is like, what is your responsibility to them? If you have a personal relationship, you might want to have a slightly more robust conversation, but really most people, when they are finding out that they're not gonna work with you anymore, Doing it fast and politely is the most kind thing to do. So I think that, you know, that can be the empathy piece is just don't, you know, I think a lot of times, and I, I, I have this tendency, there's this desire to be really friendly and really compassionate and like hold space for people's emotions and to like kind of almost therapize it. That's not your job. That's actually, that's actually inappropriate. And I think that, so when you say with empathy, I think that actually the most empathetic thing, the most kind thing that you can do when you're letting someone go is being direct and clear. So some language that can be helpful is I've decided, or you can say we've decided, like the company, like sometimes that can just be a little bit helpful to remove yourself from it. I've decided to end our contract or to end our work together, right? Because you're talking about a contractor. So you're not like, uh, it's not, you know, you're not firing somebody in quite the same way as an employee. You know, our communication has been suffering and, you know, this is not working. And usually people already know that something's wrong. So I know that's a kind of low key and it's not a, like I don't have a, uh, like a master script for letting somebody go with empathy. Um, like the Shauna says, I use we all the time. It feels better. It does. And I think really what the thing is, because 
what you're doing is it's your company that's letting them go. It's not you as a person. You're not like, I don't want to talk to you and I think you're bad and I don't want to be friends with you, right? You're like, we as a company are no longer, like this relationship is no longer working. Um, so I think of it like that. Like it is kind of a breakup in that sense. So I think the kind of key things are, even if it doesn't necessarily feel this way, direct, clear, and succinct, that is kind. You do not want people to be confused. I've definitely been guilty in the past of being kind of wishy-washy and being like, oh, well, I really love working together, but I'm not sure that it's really working out at this time. And it's like, they should know that it's done. Like you need to be like, it, that is that is kind. Like be clear, I'm ending our contract, right? Um, or if it were an employee, we have we have let you go right? Like be clear. That is kind. It feels hard. I understand. But like directness is actually really kind here. People should know exactly what's happening. There should not be a surprise. Like once they hear, once they hear those words, like they need to know that they've been fired or that that's not happening. And then it's up to you how much information you want to include. But again, I would keep it very to the facts. And that depends on your relationship with them. You're mentioning boundaries here. I probably wouldn't say to somebody when I'm like ending a relationship, working relationship with them, you've been disrespecting my boundaries. Like at that point, that's not really helpful. Um, using a lot of words like you and blame when ending a relationship like that, it doesn't really make a difference and because you're not gonna keep working with them. If you did wanna keep working with them, then we might be talking more about a coaching conversation with somebody. But if you don't, and then I think that what is also very kind is to have a plan if there's any outstanding work they have or any final payments, be able to tell them immediately when you will make those final payments. So I find that to be a really nice bookend, very nice. Hey, unfortunately, I have some bad news. We've decided to end our contract with you. We appreciate working with you, but unfortunately our communication hasn't been completely lined up and we're gonna go in another direction. Um, we have a, one final invoice due to you. I will pay that to you today so that your work is complete and I'm ready to take over all of your responsibilities so you don't need to do anything further, right? So that there's like a really clear package. Um, pay is addressed up front. Don't make people ask about getting paid. That's the fucking worst. They should know. And I mean, my preference and it for contractors is different. It depends on the state here in the US. My preference is just to pay people on their last day. Just like clean it up because then you're done. And then I think that, and I've been in this position when I've been fired, if somebody's doing work for you, they're gonna be concerned about their ongoing work. So it's good to address that upfront. So that's why I'm saying if you're giving them a couple weeks notice with a contractor, sometimes you have a contract that requires 30 days notice, it can be good to say, I'd like to have a discussion about how to wrap up your projects. So I think those are kind of the key pieces. And I think that, yeah, just to kind of wrap that up, being clear and direct, that is actually the most kind thing when you're letting someone go. Um, getting really emotional, making it about you, you know, very classic HR stuff is like, don't say you're sorry, don't do this and that. I mean, you're not a major company and, you know, I understand why legally they say that. I think you can be human here, but that being clear and direct is probably going to be the most supportive thing. Um, you know, you can, there are some good Google resources on things like this. And again, I mentioned contracts before. This is a contractor, so chances are it's not a big deal in terms of letting them go. You guys probably have some kind of relationship that's pre-existing or it's entirely at will. But just keep in mind wherever you're located that you probably have local labor laws that you need to take into consideration, especially if you're talking about employees. I hope that's helpful. And I think, yeah, I'll just say the, the first thing I said, I'm gonna say one more time, which is that chances are if it's not working for you, it's not working for them. And they may be wanting it to work, so sometimes it can feel a little bit of a shock, but ultimately 
that misalignment is usually clear to people. And usually after some reflection, even if it was a little bit shocking or upsetting, most people know that something was wrong. I think there's one final piece here I'll mention. It sounds like you already made your decision, but it can be helpful, especially with employees, but also with contractors to kind of have a, I wouldn't call it like a three strikes rule, but like have a kind of a progressive, like we call it like a progressive discipline policy. So if you do want to have a conversation with somebody to see if you can repair it, that can be, you can have that policy built into your company. So when people work with you, they know that there's like a chance that they will work through like a process where you will have coaching and feedback and support and that they get the opportunity to improve. Um, that's a whole other conversation because you're really talking about a contractor. So too long, didn't read clear, direct is actually kind. Um, and to bookend it with like when their final payment is and that, you know, what you expect them to complete before their contract is done is the way to go. You got this. I'm sorry. Letting people go fucking sucks. It's the worst for everybody involved. My dad worked in management for many years and I remember telling him when I had to let somebody go at some point, you know, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. And he was like, yeah, it should be <laughs> right. It shouldn't feel good. It should feel terrible. I mean, not terrible, but like it, 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 it it's not supposed to feel good to to take away someone's job so you know that also brings the empathy to it so but i think clear is kind in this situation um and also create a, some space to support yourself you know it sounds like maybe with the disrespecting boundaries thing this relationship's gotten a little challenging for you what can you do to take care of yourself after you've had the conversation maybe plan some kind of care or like a nice meal or a run or something that like or a tv show whatever something that help will help you to reground after having that conversation too um good luck I'm sorry that you're having that situation. It is, it is the worst. I really don't, it's not fun. Um, okay. I would like to know what you personally love the most as effective growth strategies. What a tricksy question. <laughs> you guys know I'll rarely say this is the best or most effective strategy because it really is personal. Um, and it depends on what you're selling. It depends on who you are. It depends on what you enjoy doing. Uh, it depends on your skills, your gifts, your energy levels, etc. So, but you're asking me what I personally love, so I will try to answer personally. I think there's a couple things that I like. I really like, God, it really just depends. You've kind of stumped me. Um, I think my personal favorite strategies are, honestly, I really do like things that combine value for the community with sales, like doing free coaching Thursday, for example. Um, it suits me really well. I don't think that's required. I'm definitely not somebody who's like, just show up and provide more value. Do more, do more, do more. I, I, there's plenty of that on the internet. And ultimately, I don't think that that's the most effective growth strategy for most people. People get really obsessed with their free content and don't do any selling. Um, but for me personally, I really do like these things. They also give me a lot of feedback, a lot of ways to think while also driving sales and building community and providing providing value to my community, like, which is, which is really important to me. So I really like stuff like this, like going live and having a podcast and things like that. Um, I think probably my most other favorite effective growth strategies are one, what I call in HBA being your own PR. So essentially getting your own placements in magazines and blogs and newsletters and podcasts. I think that's an extremely effective strategy that a lot of people don't do probably because they don't often people don't think they can even do that. Um, you think you need to be at a certain level in your business or you need to have a PR firm. You don't. 
I, a lot of my initial press was me writing articles for places. Now I am a writer, I have a background in freelance writing, so that's like leveraging my personal skill set. but I didn't have any contacts there. I was just cold pitching people. And that was really effective because it got me in front of a wider audience. It helped me to boost my credibility early in my business. You know, I was in, uh, I was interviewed for Well and Good. I wrote articles for Healthline, I wrote articles for The Temper, um, for some other places. And that kind of thing I think is a really fantastic strategy. It's a little bit more of a slow growth strategy in the sense that it might take a while to get one. Um, you're probably gonna need some clips or, or something to demonstrate that you have some skill there. But that being on people's podcasts, I think is a really fantastic growth strategy that also is like fun. <laughs> I think it's fun. Like it's, it's a little bit less like actively salesy and a little bit more like getting, just getting in front of people and increasing your reach. And then I think the other thing that I really just love so very much are evergreen funnels. You know, an effective evergreen funnel is brilliant. It's a great growth strategy. It encourages sales, which is really the most important growth strategy of all. And it is semi-passive. So once it's set up, it can do a lot of work on the back end for you. And I think that this is really underutilized by businesses, especially kind of businesses in their first couple years, because it feels overwhelming. And to be honest, a lot of the programs that teach Evergreen are expensive. They're expensive for a reason. There are a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of advanced sales knowledge that has to go into it. But there's really nothing like having people buy stuff when you're not paying attention. It's awesome. So I think that's a really great growth strategy. Also just is super easy to promote, super easy to um, run ads to. It just like fits in really well with a lot of stuff. And that's why I like it. So those are, I guess, a few of my personal favorite growth strategies. Uh, but again, ultimately the most important growth strategies are the ones that you will do and the ones that lead to sales. That's all I care about, right? So when you say growth strategy, I wanna bring it back to sales strategy is ultimately the goal because um, follower count, who gives a fuck? Uh, sales are all that matters. All right, I mean, within the business, you know, a lot more matters than sales, but within the business universe, that's what matters. I'm dealing with an old mentor that is being passive aggressive, but is still following me. Um, so I've been there. I have been in this experience, uh, having like a mentor relationship blow up. It was, I've had it happen a couple times, but kind of in this stage of my, not in this stage of my business, but if it, it's really fucking hard. And I just want to say that up front. So, you know, when we have these mentor relationships, we have teacher relationships, that role is very hard for a lot of people to fill. And especially in a social media culture, especially in a culture of lack, of competition, of, of financial fear, um, those roles are hard for people to fill. And a lot of people who are filling those roles are frankly very young um, for being mentors. And I'm not trying to be, yeah, I'm just in terms of like development, um, because things are changing so quickly because of technology, we have a lot of folks who are on the earlier side of their their journeys filling mentorship roles. And I think as a result, we tend to see a lot of really complicated interpersonal relationships, mentorship roles. A lot of our mentors are not elders. Your may, yours may be, I don't know who your mentor is that you're referring to, but um, I think that, and even some who are, of course, are still humans. <laughs> so this, is, this can be a really challenging relationship and it can be really challenging when that relationship shifts and it's no longer active or when you are starting to do your own work and you are kind of building on what you've learned in that relationship. Um, there's a few things that this brings up for me. I think the first is that you have to personally decide what you owe this person. 
as mentors, coaches, guides, teachers, it's really important that we charge enough that we don't feel like our students owe us anything. To be, I've said this before, I think it's really important. Or whatever form of compensation you're getting, the compensation that you're getting from your students cannot be vampiric. It can't be that you need them to need you. And I think that's what happens a lot. So when you say that you have a mentor who's being passive aggressive, that's what comes up to, for me. Um, it is that, that those relationships very easily become vampiric. And so we need to be mindful of that when you are a mentor, coach, guide, teacher, certifier, whatever, making sure that you are fully compensated, like fully, you cannot need some of your your compensation to come from your students liking you or continuing to need you or continuing to reference you or continuing to say that you're important to them. Now, the flip side, this isn't you're you're dealing with this when when this starts to happen, I think you have a couple options. I think the first thing is if you have tried to reach out to this person directly already, then you're done. You're done. Okay. If you haven't tried to reach out to them directly uh, and you value the relationship, then you might want to do that and say, I'm uncomfortable and maybe have a Zoom call with them if you can. I think email is a little bit harder for people or a phone call, something like that. And just kind of share what you're experiencing of how they're behaving, right? They may not receive that well. And if this is someone who does this a lot, they might, and they are, I'm not going to get into like vampire lore in the context of spirit work and energy, but um, anyway, if, if they are supposed to be a vampire, often, <laughs> often they're not super aware of it. Um, so it can be a really challenging conversation. Um, but the second piece is like, what do you owe this person? And if they're a teacher of yours, you probably owe them maybe some lineage recognition, but that can just be on your website. Um, if you are actively teaching something that you've learned from them, that you was part of that mentor relationship, it doesn't have to be a personal relationship. And I think ultimately you can block them. I had a mentor who did that to me, who was super, super passive aggressive and weird. And I was way too scared to say anything about the relationship. And I was really naive and I, I did not handle that well. Um, and that person ended up blocking me and hasn't talked to me in years. And ultimately, like, I mean, I wish they hadn't blocked me because that seemed kind of fucking weird and was really uh, traumatizing. But now I'm like, well, that's good because I don't I don't need a personal relationship with that person. So I think that that's like my advice, the, the, the what would Sarah do is decide what you want this relationship to be and then take the actions to try to direct bring that into alignment. If that means talking to them directly or if that means cutting them off. And I think that often with mentorship, yeah, a lot of people who are attracted to that can be folks who have a hard time with boundaries, often not consciously. And obviously I don't know your specific situation, but I've seen it a lot. Um, on the flip side, I've also been in the situation where I did not respond well to a student of mine um, doing something that I thought was crossing my boundaries. Um, so I've also been in that situation where I've made mistakes on this side to some extent. And I think what I've learned from that is that, again, is to reinforce what I said, as a teacher, as a guide, right, my students do not owe me anything personally. And that has to be really important. That doesn't mean I don't have personal relationships with a lot of people. That is nuanced. It depends on who we're talking about, right? A lot of my students have become colleagues and friends, but that they, I cannot be counting on a personal relationship to have my needs met 
in terms of that exchange. And that I'm really clear on what is okay and what is not okay. And basically, unless somebody is essentially copying my intellectual property, in which case that is a problem, and I will say something, I don't engage. So for me, intellectual property is really the line. I guess if somebody was like slandering me or something, I'd probably do something about it. But like, I, I do not want to be passive aggressive. So I do not engage. Um, if I see something weird or something that kind of like challenges me like as a human in that relationship, shut it down. So for me being really clear, okay, my intellectual property is the place where my boundary is drawn and I have to engage with somebody who's maybe behaving in a way that seems inappropriate to me. That's been really helpful. So you can kind of reverse that. You think about it for yourself because you are a mentor and a guide, the person who submitted this question. But ultimately that the personal relationship aspect that is not required in order to honor your lineage um, or to respect your teachers. So uh, yeah, if that person is being passive aggressive and still following you, you can decide if you wanna have a conversation with them. You also can block them and move on with your life. And I think that one of the things that's kind of interesting is that especially in the online space, these things become weird and tenuous and often very confused. And often there is a lot of, there are a lot of things being read into conversations and interactions online that are maybe not entirely accurate. Uh, like what I mentioned um, the time that I kind of fucking stepped in it with somebody was something where it was so clear that what had happened was not initially my fault and then I made it my fault <laughs> um, by the way I engaged on the internet. So just like, I think if these are relationships that you value, it's worth hopping on the phone. Like don't count on social media engagement or interaction to communicate for you because it's really easy to be miscommunicated. I hope that's helpful. I'm really sorry you're having this experience. Um, but I think honestly, if you're feeling like this person is does not have your best interests at heart and is not able to stay at a healthy remove, um, which it sounds like they're not, if they're being passive aggressive, then you can list them as a teacher on your website. You can reference them when you are sharing the information that you have learned from them, right? You can do all those right things. That doesn't mean that you have to have a personal relationship with them at this point. So I hope that's helpful. I'm really sorry that you're experiencing that. And, um, you know, I still have... Yeah, I could like still feel that in my body, that experience I went through with a mentor who treated me that way. And um, I don't wish that on anyone, which is where my rules came from <laughs> and my boundaries came from with my students. So um, I hope that that's helpful and just something to, for all of us to consider if we are in a role where we are teaching people, especially if we're teaching people information that they're going to implement or that they're going to pass on. Um, what are your rules? What are your boundaries? What are your guidelines? What What is the line? Um, because if you don't know what that is, then the chances are that chances that you're going to be like triggered or upset by something that's, that a student does are very high. Not because people are bad, just because people do shit. And um, that also, again, as a mentor, teacher, guide, your compensation cannot come from your energetic connection to your students. Don't be a vampire, y'all. And if you start to notice vampire vibes, <laughs> shut it down. Get some help. Okay, we can do a couple more today. Uh, I have a lot of people interested in my business and what I'm offering, very few bookings. So there's a couple ways to look at this. The first thing I'm gonna say, and I, this is gonna sound a little mean, I don't mean it in a mean way, but I think this is like the reality check. If you have a lot of people interested in your business and what you're offering and very few bookings, you actually don't have a lot of people interested in your business and what you're offering. You have people who are saying nice things to you. Um, there's a difference between people saying that they think what you do is cool and people being customers. So 
I just want to kind of flip this conversation a little bit and for you to start to think about what are you taking as indicators that people are interested in your business and what they're offering? Because to me, the interest is buying, right? So let's not get distracted by likes and comments and people saying nice things to you or being like, oh, your website looks so great or, oh, that sounds so cool. That's not interest um, from a business perspective. Those might be that it's nice, like it's polite, but I, I don't want you to get kind of stuck in this idea that, oh, all these people want my thing, but they don't want my thing. They don't want your thing. So what does that mean? It means we have a communication issue. Um, often if we do have folks saying nice things about us, nice things about our work, but they're not buying, we are, there is some kind of breakdown between what we're presenting and actually closing the sale, which means that my guess is your stuff looks pretty, it sounds nice, um, but it's not actually speaking to the result or transformation that your customers need. And if that's not clear, they're not going to book. So I think the, the, what I would encourage you to start to think about is focusing just on the bookings. Don't look at the interest, because again, interest is, doesn't mean anything. All that matters is like, are they buying or not? And the answer is no, they're not and try to figure out, yeah, those of you that are in the Holistic Business Academy, this is all the work that we do. This is the entire thing. So I don't really have a great specific lesson to send you to. This is the entire fucking thing. Um, But essentially your communication strategies are probably missing something that lets people know that this is the right offer for them. So for example, one of the things I see here that's really common is people focusing on features rather than benefits, right? So like for tarot readers, people will be like, oh, you get to choose which deck you use. Isn't that cool? Look at these pretty decks. No one fucking cares, right? Your customers do not care what deck you use. The only people who care what deck you use are other tarot readers. And even then it's like just more out of curiosity than anything else, right? uh, Or how long the reading is or how many cards the reading is, right? Focusing on that stuff. And then people are probably like, wow, that deck is so pretty. That doesn't mean they're interested. So we need to break out of looking at the features of your offer. I don't actually know what your business is, so I'm just going with the tarot things. I see that one a lot. And look at the benefits, the outcomes, the results, the possibility that it creates. Often when we have this kind of communication breakdown where you're getting the likes and the comments, but likes and comments don't pay the bills, it's because you're presenting your offer in a way that looks pretty or is speaking to like the cool stuff that it includes or is often also talking about why you like it. I am so excited to offer this. I love tarot so much and I know how much it can help. So I can't wait. I, 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 right? Chances are we have a couple communication issues there. That's my, my guess. With that in mind then, the shift is to make it about your customer and about the outcome they need. What about your offer? is going to help them get from point A to point B, right? They're over here, they have a problem. Do you know what that problem is? Do you know what that challenge is? Do you know what the thing is that they need help with? And then do you know where they want to be? If you don't know those two things, that's like the first level problem. Um, You have to understand where they are and where they want to be with your offer. And you're using the word booking, so that's why I'm thinking you probably do like some kind of service providing something. So especially with service providers, um, tarot, astrology, healer, done for you services, coaching, marketing, doesn't really matter, right? They're over here, they want something different. And you have to show them that you understand where they are, where they want to be, and how your offer is the bridge, the vehicle that gets them from point A to point B. Um, that is, that's the piece that's likely missing. So be wary of too many features, 10 card reading with this deck or this deck and this extra thing, that doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter how long it is. When we're having a booking problem, it means that we're not communicating effectively 
how this is going to help them. So I hope that helps you kind of shift that perspective a little bit, recognize that interest is likely people being polite and not people actually saying that they're interested. Um, and that if we're not closing those sales, we're not, we're not getting those bookings, we are missing a piece of the critical marketing communications that I just kind of ran through real quick. So go forth, conquer, you're gonna do great. Um, but that's the piece. Where are they? Where do they wanna be? How does your offer get them there? Super simple, but yeah, let's just start there. That's a good place to begin. Those of you in HBA know that we can like go way more in that, especially in like the uh, attraction marketing communication lesson. That's like where you like map out all of that. That's exactly what we what we're getting into. Okay, finding my lane on what feels genuine to post or share on social media for my biz. Well, this is kind of fun because what feels genuine is something that literally only you can decide. My guess is if what you feel like you're doing doesn't feel genuine, then you're probably lying to yourself. <laughs> There's probably something that you're doing that you think you have to do. There's some assumption that you're making something, oh, everybody does this, so I must need to do this. And you're trying to fit your genuine expression into some confines, some box that you are adhering to. Um, so you need to break the box, right? You're the only one who could say it was genuine. I can't do that for you. So a few things to think about. First of all, if you are able, write down the assumptions, the rules of the game that you're playing by, especially on social media. Do you assume that you need to do reels because you keep hearing that Instagram is now a video platform, which it's not, but that's a whole other conversation, right? Are you assuming that you need to post every day because everyone else you follow posts every day, right? You're probably making choices based off of the externals of other people's businesses rather than the internals of what actually works or what will work for you. And the first shift is to notice what those assumptions are that you're making. And then the second thing is to say, great, if I didn't have to do any of that, how would I use this tool effectively? Like what, what would, what is genuine to me? Because you're, yeah, you probably have created, like you've created a box for yourself. People listening on the podcast can't see that I'm making a really cute rectangle box with my fingers right now. So often when this happens, there's kind of two strategies that work. The first is usually to stop paying attention to what anyone else is doing and just do internal testing. So basically you post what you want, you see what your metrics are. Um, if you don't have a business account, definitely get a business account so you can see your engagement metrics and, and reach and all that stuff. And you just keep testing internally. Sometimes for folks that's really hard. And what can be very helpful is to actually like do a course of some kind, like an Instagram course or read um, an Instagram blog. I like the later blog a lot. I think they do a really good job with their social media blog. And to look at that and learn kind of the rules of the road from a more, a less opinionated lens maybe than like looking at your colleagues, your peers, your coaches who kind of like really have an agenda. Um, and then fit yourself, try those strategies kind of strategically instead of making assumptions that they are the best thing or what you need to do. But ultimately what feels genuine for you, that's entirely up to you. Um, I think the other piece that I'll add here is that often folks don't create healthy boundaries around social media and they assume that they have to share everything about themselves or nothing about themselves. I encourage you to really give yourself the space to think about what that looks like for you specifically. Um, so for example, I have a list, not, it's not like a written list, it's like a mental list of things that I don't share about on social media. Um, that list changes sometimes, but the example I come to a lot, like I don't hide the fact that I am engaged that I have a partner um but you guys have like never seen him <laughs> most of you don't know his name or what he does like you know 
that's my that's part of my life, right? That's like my private life. There are other things in my life that I don't talk about. There are things I talk about a lot that other people might not want to, right? Like I talk about mental health and I talk about being sober and stuff like that. Though increasingly I talk about that less, not because it's not important, but because it's kind of private and I want it to be private. So there's there's a possibility that you're crossing your own boundaries and you're not aware of it because you haven't assessed that for yourself. Sometimes it can be very helpful to think of content buckets, not so much as like, because that's not really a marketing strategy, but just so you know what you are comfortable sharing. So for me, I will share about my dog. You guys get pictures of Bay all the time. Uh, obviously, I will talk about anything about business. I'm happy to talk about. That's a very wide subject for me. I would say generally mental health sobriety. And then what I kind of like loosely call, you know, wellness or witchy wellness, which for me can include weightlifting. Um, I share a lot less about herbalism than I used to because that's become a very private practice for me. I share less about spirituality than I used to uh, because again, I'm working on some stuff there. So those things change, but it might be helpful to kind of think about what, what actually feels good to share because genuine doesn't mean that you have no boundaries and if it doesn't feel good you might be crossing some boundaries as well so i hope that gives you some next steps to engage with there all right i wanted to address this real quick we have a question how to hire a great va to help you stay billable um i don't know what specifically you mean about billable but um we talked about hiring a virtual assistant two weeks ago so please go back and look at that either on the podcast so you want to be a witch or on the instagram feed i think the first thing it says is hiring a va so we just did this a couple weeks ago go check that out if you listen to that and then have more questions feel free to come back for a future free coaching thursday episode and we'll go deeper um but that was a really good one and i went on a whole rant about misclassifying employees so that one was super fun <laughs> we love a rant Okay, how to market my gifts and gain authentic clients for breathwork. Um, so this is really similar to the question we just had um, for the person who was saying they were getting a lot of interest but no sales, exact same thing for you. you know, I don't know what authentic clients means. That suggests to me that you're attracting people you don't want, which means it is probably time to do some, what we call repel marketing, which is speaking very specifically to the people you do not work with, right? To draw some real lines in the sand. And often we do this with kind of, I don't know if controversial content is really the right word, but with things that are, um, places where you have really strong beliefs, strong stands, where you're willing to say things that um, help people know if they're in the right place or not in the right place. So if you're concerned about authentic clients, you're not getting the people that you want for your work, chances are you got to draw some lines in the sand and, and speak up. Um, and that can be on, it doesn't, you know, it can be on anything. For someone with service-based work, sometimes it's as simple as being like, are you ready for a breathwork session? Three signs you aren't ready for breath work. And you list out the three things that drive you fucking nuts when when clients show up in that space. You think it's a, you know, you think it's a fraud. You really need therapy. You, whatever, right? Um, so kind of being really proactive about the, st the people you don't want to work with. And often just being ourselves, this kind of relates to the previous question about being genuine as well. So go check that one out if you didn't already. But Often being ourselves repels people better than anything else, right? So if you are finding that you are kind of polishing yourself or trying to present in a certain way or, you know, trying to fit yourself into some box of what you think you need to be on social media, I would encourage you to see kind of like I was talking about the previous person with boundaries intact, right? You do not need to show all of yourself on social media that it's literally not required. But see, are there things about yourself that maybe are a little bit more clear about them? People will naturally drop off. My silly example here, but it's a really good one, is the fact that I curse, right? I curse all the fucking time. I curse in my classes, I curse when I teach, I curse on social media, I curse on my podcast. If I pretended I didn't curse, 
I would end up with a bunch of clients who were not okay with the fact that I curse. It sounds silly, but we have gotten complaints before, right? I do not want you to buy my fucking program if that is going to bother you. If you think that I am like, like, I don't know, less smart or like not good at my job because I curse, fuck you, okay? So thinking about some of these places where your clients are not in alignment and what is it that you can communicate either through your behavior, like through what you say literally, like what you're presenting, so that you are bringing those authentic clients. But in order to have the authentic clients, we have to see an authentic version of you. Again, boundaries intact does not have to be everything, but just maybe a place to notice if you're kind of censoring yourself a little bit or trying to mold yourself and feel like you have to be a certain way. Um, that often is why we are getting a clients who are not authentic to us. And the really good news is, is that like, there are so many different fucking kinds of people in this world. And I know this sounds like kind of like a flip, like a inspirational content thing, but it's really true. There are different people who need different things at different times. The more that you can present the you that they're going to meet in sessions, the more you're going to get the right people for you. And the people who are not the right people for you will go elsewhere. But if we're not showing up authentically ourselves, and again, I'm going to say it's like 50 times because it's so important, with boundaries intact, you do not need to bring all of yourself to your work. You're a multifaceted human. You get to choose. But if we don't show up authentically, we're not going to get authentic clients. You know, I notice this a lot when folks, you know, this becomes very common in coaching where people like modulate the way they speak in order to create affinity. That's like a big NLP thing. Like shit like that is totally fine. But unless that's how you are all the time with clients, that doesn't work, right? There's a reason I talk fast. There's a reason I curse. I, I just, you know, I can't, I can't fake it anymore. I'm too tired to fake it. But just like notice those things for yourself. I'm not saying that's what you do, but just like, I don't know you, sorry. But like, we all have kind of assumptions we make about how we need to present in order to be worthy of clients or to be good enough or to be seen as being professional. And while some of those things may be true, especially in certain environments, I don't wanna discount that. If you're finding that the clients that are coming to you are not the right clients, that's a communication issue. So you can say explicitly who's not for you. And often, this is marketing your gifts, often saying who your shit is not for that helps bring the right people to you. It's an attraction and repel thing. It's like a magnet, but two sides of the same coin. That was a lot of, a lot of mixed metaphors. And then in terms of marketing your gifts, we talked a little bit about those marketing communication strategies with an earlier question today, so I'm not gonna repeat it. But again, the key here, and this is, for, this is a shift for you because it's even here in your language, market my gifts. We don't wanna market your gifts. We want to market the transformation that you help people to achieve. And Often in our marketing, especially for healers, um, you mentioned breath work, especially for healers, people tend to um, focus very much on themselves, on their training, on their skills, on their relationship to, to spirits, to guides, to spirituality, to religion, whatever. And that's important. Like people need to know what you stand for, I think probably. And people do want to know where you're trained or what your perspective is, especially with something like breath work. Um, but that's usually not why they invest. They invest because you understand, as I said earlier, where they are and where you, they want to be. So helping them see the transformational journey through your work, where you are the facilitator of it rather than the center of it, that's gonna be a really key shift. You're not marketing your gifts. You are marketing the transformation that you help them to achieve. And often I do think of that, I think facilitation is really the word I like there, especially in healing work or coaching consulting work, something where you are like, a face and a name, hello, and like doing something with people, um, is to try to decenter ourselves in the marketing communications. Because oh, like, not all the time, but chances are, 
like I mentioned with the person earlier, a lot of a start marketing saying, I love this. I love breathwork because of this. I trained in this way. I can't wait to help you. And again, no one cares, right? They care about what that will make possible for them. So as much as we can shift the conversation back onto the customers, the better it will go. So I hope that is helpful, but ultimately it sounds like we have a really beautiful opportunity for some, for some healthy boundary repelling customer kind of content and conversations and to figure out if you need it, if you want to attract those authentic customers, then what do you authentically need to show so that they know that you're their person, right? So they feel that affinity, that relationship, that, um, that connection with you. I hope it goes well. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I hope that's helpful. I think this is probably our last one for the day. Self-invalidation. I'm selling, but now I'm afraid my offer isn't good enough. And this one goes on to say, you know, that people uh, will think I'm a scam, that people won't buy, etc. Um, you know, this kind of like insecurity and self-invalidation is really common, especially with new offers and especially with beginning offers. And I think there's a few things we can take a look at. Uh, the first of all, first of all, is a great job noticing this. Honestly, a lot of times I think we talk ourselves out of it, especially like, you know, we're like, I'm not going to positive, positive affirmation myself into believing that I know what I'm doing, right? Or whatever. Um, and that's fine. But noticing that this is coming up is really exciting. Actually, there's a few things. Feeling that the offer is good enough often comes from people having done the offer and gotten the results. It's a little bit circular. It's a little hard to, to like have that confidence until you've done it. And that gets better, I think, as you do more offers, you get more skilled at it. I mean, I still feel this. I still get nervous uh, with new offers, um, but I, I feel a little bit less nervous because I have a long history now of helping people to achieve their goals and I have just kind of advanced skill set. So it does get a little bit better with time, but every time we kind of make something new, especially if it's something that's really stretching against our growing edge, it's going to happen probably for a lot of folks. So it's normal. Being afraid that people are going to think you're a scam are you trying to defraud people? Because that's really what that means. I think this is a place where maybe looking at the dictionary definitions can be really helpful and to really sit with them and be like, is this my intention? Am I trying to intentionally defraud people? Am I trying to intentionally take people's money and tell and like, you know, screwing them over? And the answer is, is no. <laughs> I know that's not what you're trying to do. And sometimes that can be really grounding just to look at the words and the stories that are playing in our head, to look at the dictionary definition and just kind of work through that and be like, wait, what what would I even have to do for this to be what I'm doing? Like, no, there's a few things to keep in mind. First, if someone has a problem with your offer, they will probably let you know. <laughs> and I, I mean that like in a good way that if there is a real issue, if someone really didn't get what they were expecting, they will probably tell you. And hopefully they'll be nice about it. Sometimes they won't be. Um, and you have the opportunity there to give a refund, for example. There are ways to solve this if it were to actually happen. But I think really the really kind of key exciting thing here for you is to figure out, so sometimes, because it's also kind of, there's like this like stage fright vibe to this, like, because maybe you haven't done it before and you're, you know, that people are going to do it and they're not going to like it. If you haven't already, you could do a run through with a friend um, or, you know, yeah, some friends or some colleagues, sometimes that can be really helpful to do a practice run for your offer if that's feasible or for part of your offer to get some feedback. Um, and then I think also having like, yeah, having a contingency plan in place. If someone sends me this email and says, this offer sucks and I feel like you ripped me off, how are you going to handle it? And not because you, because that's going to happen, 
but because sometimes our anxiety is soothed by knowing that we have a response. And in this case, it might be something like, I'm so sorry, I really value your feedback. Would you be willing to hop on the phone with me and tell me what, what went wrong, right? Or what, what didn't feel supportive to you. But ultimately, this is one of those things that gets better in the doing. So the fact that you are selling it, that you are doing it, that is the next step to feeling more confident about it. Um, the last piece that I, I, you know, I've shared this little tip before, and I think it can be really helpful. If you have any feedback from past customers, even if it's not about this, just like any kind of kind words, nice comments on Instagram, it doesn't matter. Get yourself a file of them. Get yourself a little file where you can go and you can take a look at them and you can be reminded of the nice things that people have said about you. And that often is really helpful to kind of snap out of the, the spiral that, that the work isn't good enough that say, oh, well, this person thought the work was good enough to send me this nice email, right? It doesn't even need to be a formal testimonial, just some kind of, some kind of feedback can be really helpful. I'm excited for you and your offer. And I'm sorry you're feeling this way, but this is normal. Um, it will get better with time. And I hope a couple of those tools to kind of either mitigate the risk and kind of soothe the anxiety, do a little practice, get some positive reinforcement or kind of ground this into the definitions and to really like self-assess and say, no, I'm, I'm not trying to defraud people. Um, that maybe one of those will help you help you in this. All right, y'all, that is all we've got time for today. I got to get back to packing. Thank you so much for being here. If we didn't get to your question today, feel free to submit it next time. Sorry, we had a lot of questions today, which was awesome, um, but I got to cut it off. So How Free Coaching Thursday works is on Wednesdays over in my stories on Instagram at Sarah M. Chapel. We post a little question box. You can put your question in the box. Please make sure it fits in the box. That is one of the boundaries that helps me to maintain the energetic exchange of this free offer put it in the box. And then on Thursdays around 1 p.m. Eastern time, I go live. You can always check it out here live. If you're able, it'll be on my Instagram feed and also on our podcast. So you want to be which the following Tuesday. Again, reminder, we are off next week because I am fucking moving. So nothing's happening next week. There's no podcast. Uh, well, there'll be podcast episode released next week, but I'm not recording anything next week. So no free coaching Thursday next week. Um, which means the following week, the week of the 7th, there will be no new releases. But the week of the 7th, we will have another free coaching Thursday. So if we didn't get to your question, you can submit it again then. Um, and thank you all so much for sharing your questions. I know it can be really vulnerable and um, a little nerve wracking to like ask a stranger on the internet uh, to give you feedback on what's going on. But I hope this has been supportive. And ultimately, I think we see a little bit of a trend here today, which is this kind of combination of self-trust and boundary work. And recognizing that so much of business is about boundaries and noticing when yours have when yours have been crossed and noticing with your values what those boundaries need to look like um, in terms of whether you're sharing on social media how you're interacting with employees and contractors how you're interacting with mentors and students how you're attracting your customers and and that the more that you kind of have that self-knowledge of what is appropriate for you the easier it is to make that explicit in your relationships and explicit in your marketing communications and with that i will sign off with my boundary that i told myself i was not going to go over an hour today and i did not and i told myself i wasn't going to do this next week because i'm moving and i'm not going to so there are my boundaries for you right now thank you all so much i will see you in two weeks bye for now